Let's pray. God, will you be generous here this morning with your spirit, and would you help us to hear exactly what we need to hear today so we can become more like Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, 15 years ago tomorrow, uh, I found myself in a hospital. I had been putting off uh, back surgery for a long time. I had injured my back, and it was excruciatingly painful, and I had seen a neurosurgeon and finally was giving in, and it was going to be about four to five months before he could work me in to have surgery, and finally it just gotten to a point I just couldn't even function anymore, and so I saw my doctor to see if there's anything stronger I could take to help with the pain, and he said, John, uh, you, you can't do this for another three or four months. Let me admit you to a hospital, because then they have to see you, and you'll have surgery a lot faster that way. So he talked me into admitting me into the hospital, and so Monday after Thanksgiving, I was in the hospital awaiting surgery, and on Friday when I came home to my house, and I was single at that time, I came home to a fully decorated house for Christmas. I didn't leave it that way. That's what I came back to. And I found quickly who had done that. It was a group of high school kids that I had been leading a small group with that had broken into my house, unbeknownst to me, and had decorated every single room of my house for Christmas. They had bought a Christmas tree, and being a Michigan fan, they had gotten blue and yellow lights that they could put up on the tree, and only blue and yellow ornaments hanging from the tree. And every room had some audacious Christmas decoration all over the place. And I remember just standing there looking around at my house and just being overwhelmed by that extreme act of generosity. I'm thinking, how much time did they spend putting all of this together? And how much money did they spend buying all of this stuff? And how did they break into my house is really what I wanted to know. But it, it just stirred. And even today, like 15 years later, I can still remember walking into that house and just being overwhelmed with that just generous act on their behalf. Maybe you've been touched by an act of generosity that just sticks in your mind that you remember like it was yesterday. You were so thankful that somebody stepped in when you couldn't provide or somebody just went above and beyond and surprised you with an incredible act of generosity or a gift. And, and that's what this series really has been about is, is being generous. And that kind of generosity sticks out in our world. Because that kind of generosity just doesn't make sense. We live in a dog-eat-dog world, and that's where we started this series with a number of weeks ago, where we said generosity is absurd because it doesn't make sense in a world that says it's just about accumulating everything for yourself, and it's every man, woman for themselves, and you take care of you and don't worry about anybody else, that generosity doesn't seem to make sense. But boy, we love it when we see it, don't we? And it sticks out because our world doesn't live that way. And so we say, Jesus followers, this is really should be our choice, and you really need to make a choice of being generous, because the natural reaction is to hoard. Opposite of that is following Jesus and giving generously. So you make a choice, and we talked about that the second week. Then Pastor Tim took us into, it's not just a choice we make and instantly we become generous, that we have to work at it that it takes a while to work that generosity muscle in your heart and in your spirit to become a generous person. And then on Wednesday evening, um, Pastor Jet led us in a, a series continuing with this, talking about the benefit of living in uh, generosity. 
And today we want to wrap up the series going back to um, the chapters we've been looking at, chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And I just invite you to turn your Bible there because we've been discovering every single week, we've wrapped around our minds around this group of people called the Macedonians. And there's one question that we've wrestled with throughout this series that we want to wrestle with one more time, and it's this. Why were the Macedonians, who were going through so much with so little, able to give so generously? These Macedonians, we discovered, were living in extreme poverty and going through severe trials, and yet they begged for an opportunity to give to some Jesus followers living in Jerusalem that they would never see or come in contact with, who probably, frankly, weren't any worse off than they were, but they begged for an opportunity to give. And God's spirit was moving among them, and there was so much joy in being able to give what they could give and being a part of something bigger than themselves. And and so they gave generously. And so Paul lifts them up as an example. So how were they able to do this? And today we'll, we'll discover the answer to that. It's the law of generosity. And I know I say that law of generosity, like, oh, great, this is the guilt one, right? We've been talking about grace, and isn't this wonderful to be generous? Now you're really going to hit hit as hard with the hammer and give a heavy-handed approach to you should be giving more. That's not the kind of law I'm talking about. Law in terms of really thinking about it from these are principles of generosity that are true, much like the law of gravity is true, that if I drop this, it's going to fall to the ground. There are some laws of generosity, some principles that we want to get our mind around. So I want to invite you to go to our couple of chapters that we've been looking at. We're going to jump in chapter 9 at verse 6 and take a look at what it says. He says, remember this. And that's always a great way. Like if you're a college student and you're in your class and your professor says, remember this, you just know. I don't even have to ask if this is going to be on the final. Like you're going to write whatever he says down. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. They're like, man, I'm not really into farming. I don't really understand the sowing analogy with this. Well, that's okay. You don't really have to know much about farming to understand the principle, the law of generosity, that if you just give a little bit, there's a little return for that. But if you give a lot, there's a great deal of return with that. But I know there's some things that get in the way, because I've wrestled with these things, and you've probably wrestled with these things. If not, you're going to hear somebody that's wrestling with these things. So I just want to give you a couple of things that get in the way of generosity and people living a generous life. And the first one is simply this, that I don't want to throw money away, because that's what sowing seems like for so many people. Boy, you're just throwing money away. Why are you throwing money? You don't even know what's happening with your money as you're throwing it away. It's like, well, I don't have to worry about that. I'm not throwing money away. And I see why that's what it looks like, because that's what it looks like from the outside. From a non-Jesus follower, I get that. It seems, generosity seems absurd. And if you could go back 2,000 years now and go, well, tell me, where, where did that money go and who got it and what was it used for? Like 2,000 years later, we don't see any results of that money. The food that was bought with that money, long gone. The, the clothing that might have been bought with that, long gone. The, the rent um, for housing, long gone. <laughs> like that money is, is long gone. But what remained of that was something of greater significance. And that's what he wants us to know. So we, we as Jesus followers say, I'm not throwing money away. I'm not throwing it away. I'm sowing. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. I'm sowing. That these are like seeds, and, and the more I give away, the more harvest will come later. And, and I realize if all my life is about accumulating stuff 
for myself, then I'm just left with stuff. And far too many people have spent their lives chasing and accumulating stuff and then realizing they're alone with all of their stuff. Because while they were chasing after more stuff, um, their family um, had lost touch with them and they find themselves isolated and all alone. And so a better thing to do is not just accumulate stuff, is I, I, want, I want to sow with what's been given to me. I, I want to see something that's going to outlast me. And you know what outlasts for the Macedonians? It wasn't the money that they gave. Man, it was the story that is still being told 2,000 years later. Some scholars point back to this act of generosity on the Macedonian church and how radical that was that that was transforming Jesus' followers in that first century. And so very soon after this, uh, Jesus' followers would see children that were left as orphans and just thrown to the side of the road to survive by themselves. They said, we can't just let kids just die out by themselves. We're gonna take them in. And so the first orphanages were started by generous Jesus' followers. Sick people were often just left out um, by themselves and left outside the city walls. And generous Jesus' followers said, that can't be. So the very first hospitals that were developed were Jesus followers who wanted to be generous and care for those that had a need. And so this act of generosity on the Macedonian part, the seeds that were sown were not just providing a meal for somebody. It was transforming culture at that time. So we're not just throwing money away. Man, as Jesus followers, we know what we're doing. We're sowing seed. And the more seed we can sow, the, the more harvest that is going to be and the more lives that are going to be transformed by Jesus. But frankly, maybe I should have started with this one because this one I think is, is probably more true for a lot of people if we're really honest. I just don't want to be generous. And I, I get it. I know I should. I don't want to. And really what we need to do is be honest and finish that sentence. I don't want to be generous with my money. Because that's really what we're saying. If I gave you some money, you'd be like, ah, I'd be happy to give your money away. Um, but when it's our money, and it's really the false assumption, isn't it? It's my money, because it's not really my money. And Jesus' followers understand this, because Jesus' followers know that I'm just a manager. That's what I am. I don't own anything. Everything belongs to God. He just entrusts me with it. So I'm just managing God's estate for him. Man, early in my uh, high school career, I, one of my first early jobs was working at Little Caesars, and they quickly made me an assistant manager, and then the first summer as I was getting ready to go off to college, uh, they said, would you like to manage a store? I said, man, my own store, absolutely. And I said yes before I really gave it any thought, and I've learned since then, boy, you really need to ask more questions before you just commit yourself to something, because I found myself in the lowest producing store um, in the metro Detroit kind of area, and they had all kinds of issues. There were people stealing from the store, there were people dealing drugs out of that store, and so I had to go in and basically clean house and start all over from scratch, and I worked like crazy that summer. But never in once in that time working at that store did I ever think that, oh yeah, this is my store. I might have said it was my store, but I knew it wasn't my store. Like I didn't own that place. It wasn't my right to take things that didn't belong to me. I'm just managing this on behalf of the company. And so as summers went on, the next summer I got a little better store and a little better store. And my last summer before I went to seminary um, as I graduated college that last summer, um, they gave me the highest producing store to manage for the summer as they were looking for a permanent manager. I thought, wow, why didn't you trust me with this from the very get-go? Like, because you were 18 and you didn't know anything. That's why we didn't trust you with that. 
And I have a feeling God does the same kind of thing. God trusts us. And he says, I want you to manage this. And as you get a little bit better at it, I'm going to give you a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I don't want to be generous. Well, that's fine. Then we shouldn't expect God to give us more to manage if we can't be faithful with a little bit he's given us. Or maybe some people are like, I just don't believe this law of generosity. I don't believe you reap what you sow. I just don't see that to be true. I don't believe it. And maybe this is why it's the one instance in Scripture where God says, test me in this. And you can read Malachi chapter 3, the last book of the Old Testament. Read it for yourself. It's a great section of Scripture. Test me. Bring to me gifts into my storehouse, into my temple, into my church, and see if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out such a blessing on you that you won't even be able to count it. You know, I've I've never met a Jesus follower who is an ex-giver. I used to be generous, but I I just don't do that anymore. I follow Jesus in other ways. I've just not met that person who used to be generous and stopped being generous. I've found some people that have stopped being generous, but it's because they stopped following Jesus. Maybe they don't know it yet, but they really have stopped following him because you can't follow Jesus and not become more generous. Let's go on, take a look at verse seven. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, what you have decided in your heart, not in your mind, because your mind will tell you that doesn't make sense, but in your heart where decisions are made. Decide in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Just to ask you a simple question, when it comes to giving, what have you decided my fear is, I don't think a lot of people who are even our Jesus followers have decided what they're going to give. I think there's far too many Jesus followers who give out of reluctance or compulsion or obligation or guilt. This is why I think so many people are so glad we don't pass around the offering plates anymore. It's like, oh, whew. I used to feel so guilty when that thing would come by and I'd open up my wallet and there wasn't much in there and I didn't know what to give and I'd feel guilty and, oh, yeah, I should give something more. And you're like, oh, good. I can just walk past the plates in, in the lobby on there or I can just bypass the announcements when you mention that. If I'm watching from home, I can just let the guilt go right by. Well, why is that? Well, because you haven't decided what to give. And I think far too people of Jesus have decided. So I came across this graphic. They're really cheap. You can pick these up really cheap, by the way. Decision 2020. Um, This is what I really want to call you to do. If you're a serious Jesus follower, would you make a decision before the end of the year? And just decide in your heart. I don't get to decide that for you. But you, decide in your heart what you want to give. Not out of reluctance or compulsion. Oh, I should, I ought to, I better. What What do I want to do? In light of God's mercy and in light of God's generosity, what do I want? to decide, to give, because each person should decide in your heart what to give, not out of reluctance or compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you probably know this uh, before, but the Greek word for um, the cheerful giver is hilarious, where we get the English word hilarious from. This is what he uses to describe the Macedonian church. They were cheerful, hilarious givers, that even in their extreme poverty, and severe trials, that there welled up in them this rich generosity. They were hilarious givers. Don't you want to be around a hilarious giver? I want to be a hilarious giver. I want to have that kind of joy of just giving. And this is why, over the last several weeks, we've just really tried to help you experience generosity in neat kind of ways. 
And we really started by giving you access to all of Dave Ramsey's material. And if you've been with us, you can still get access to that, all of Dave Ramsey's material. We just gave that because we had a few generous donor, donors step up and we had some small group budget money that we could allocate for that so people could have access to getting control of their finances so they could become more generous. And then we started with the, the veterans. And so several weeks ago, um, before Veterans Weekend, we gave cards to everybody. Just write a veteran a card. Or you could bring in clothing for them or other hygiene products, and we'll take those to the VA hospital so those who have served our country so faithfully, we can love them and do that well. And so it was really neat to see how many of those cards went out. There's still some in the lobby here, or you can connect with us online if you're watching online, and we'll send you some more cards. You can write veterans. Uh, we've got some of those left. And then the week after that, we did these reverse Advent bags. I think there's just a couple of these left. But these bags that you have, we encourage you to take them and starting December 1st, every day, put a new product in that bag. And at the end of the month, you take it over to a food bank. So you get an opportunity to, to hand it over to people there. And maybe there's some people there that are needy and looking for food and you're handing the bag over to them and you get to see firsthand who you're helping by your act of generosity. It's just a very easy step for you to take. Last week, we did the angel tree, and the angel tree, all those went away before the end of the morning last week. I forgot to look this morning to see how many are left online, but we'll get more. If there are more kids, because we said there are so many kids who are sitting uh, alone, and, and a lot of them are isolated or alone, and they're in foster care, and they're not going to have Christmas like a lot of kids have Christmas. And so there's a gift that they really want, and we want to come alongside these kids and say we want them to experience God's love at Christmas time. And so we have an opportunity to be generous with those people as well, and so we've done that. At the end of the service, we're going to give you an opportunity to be generous. Again, it's not going to cost you anything but a little bit of your time. God loves a cheerful giver. Now take a look where I leave off. Eight and nine. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. For as it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, for their righteousness endures forever. And a few months ago, we're putting together this series. That was this section of scripture that just jumped out at me. This is what we want to see happen. Their righteousness endures forever. That we're sowing seeds that are not just going to feed somebody today, but are going to change lives for eternity. That's what we want to be about. And it starts with this, that God is able. God is able. And if you want to summarize following Jesus in six words, I think a great way to describe this to somebody who doesn't understand Jesus is simply this, that God is able, I am not. Only God has the power to transform a life. I can't change people's lives. I can't even change my own life. I'm not able. God is able. God knows all things. He's omniscient. He understands all things. God is able to comprehend how everything works together for his glory and for his benefit. I can't even understand today and where today is leading. I am not able, but he is able. God is all powerful. He, he can do all things. He is able. I am not. God is consistent. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is incredibly consistent. He is able to be consistent. And I'm fickle. Man, there are moments I'm passionately following Jesus, and there's moments where I feel like I'm so distant from Jesus. 
I'm not able. God is able. I can't save myself. This is why Jesus came. He is able. This is what Christmas, by the way, is about, if you didn't understand this, that God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Emmanuel. That's that word. That God came among us and lived a perfect life and then gave up that perfect life and gave it as a sacrifice because he knew that we couldn't live a perfect life. We can't make it right with God. I am not able to make my life right with God, but God says, I can do it. I am able, and I'm willing. And so he lays down his life on a cross, and he rises again so that we would know that God is able to transform hearts and lives for eternity. God is able. I am not wrapping up with verses 10 and 11. Now he who supplies seed to the sower. I don't even have the seed. I don't give any. God is the one who provides the seed. He gives the seed to the sower. Bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. And isn't that what, frankly, I think all of us deep down want? We want to live lives of significance. There, there's a meaning beyond today or my existence, that my life isn't just about me accumulating stuff and having a good life, that at some point you want to be a part of something bigger and something that's going to outlive you. And this is what he says. You increase, enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That really is what we hope. That really is the end result of generosity, is thanksgiving to God. The end result of generosity is not so I can get a tax write-off on my taxes. The end result of generosity is not so I can get a pat on the back or people can look at me and go, oh, what a generous person they are. Now, the end result of our generosity is so that God is praised and that people's lives are being transformed. People are coming to Jesus because of our generosity. I came across this quote a long time ago, and I, I love this picture. Be happy when God answers your prayer, but be more thankful when he makes you the answer to someone else's prayer. That's what generosity does. It gives you the opportunity to be an answer to someone else's prayer. On Friday, I was working out and I was listening to podcasts as I often do while I'm working out and I was listening to a Focus on the Family podcast on Friday. And it was a half hour full of story after story of people who have been touched by someone's generosity. And they're just little two, one to two minute stories, one after another. And I just was tearing up listening to all of these stories. And I encourage you to grab a hold of it, go listen to it. It was incredibly inspiring. Let me just share one of the stories that really touched my heart. There's this lady who was married to an alcoholic. They had a few kids, and uh, he decided he didn't want to be married or be a dad anymore, and he just took off, emptied the bank account, and split. She didn't really know anybody because she had spent most of her life just holding the family together as best she could, uh, living with an alcoholic, and, and she didn't know anybody, and she was starting to get desperate, and she talked to a neighbor, and the neighbor um, communicated with her and said, well, you need to go to my church. 
She goes, I, I've never been to a church before. Well, here, just come with me. And she introduced her to a lady, and this lady said, oh, well, I, I might be able to help because my, my husband delivers milk and cheese and eggs and, and just fresh you know, vegetables to, to people, and, and he, he can bring you. She goes, no, no, I don't have any money. That's my problem. Oh, don't, don't worry about it. And the next morning, here he comes pulling up in the truck, and he's unloading a whole bunch of stuff. And she's like, hey, there must be some mistake. I, I don't have any money. I can't pay for all this. No, no, it's already been taken care of. Don't worry about it. And she goes, I found out later um, that they really didn't have a lot to give. They weren't rich. <laughs> they were living paycheck to paycheck. But they loved to give. And she goes, it was that act of generosity that caused me to become a Jesus follower. <laughs> I didn't know anything about Jesus before that. But it was that act of generosity that stirred in my spirit. And then I saw God providing in ways that I never provide for. So story after story like that in that pie, it was phenomenal. I thought, God, I want to see more of that. Would you use me to be a part of those kind of stories? That, that I can be an answer to someone's prayer and come alongside. And God, can we become more of a church that way? Become a church of hilarious givers that just generously give. And that lives are transformed because of, of the way that we're giving to one another. God, can you do that again like you did in the Macedonian church?